with us today. We are in James uh, chapter 5. If you are visiting, this is our last week going through the book of James. So we've been going through James over the course of the whole summer. So we've been in it for 14 weeks. This is week number 14, and we will finish it up. So we are at James chapter 5. And we're at verses 13 through the end of the chapter. This is God's holy word. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, you will be forgiven. He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our time. Our God, we come before you right now and we are mindful of our need of you. Lord, we realize that uh, simply gathering and having somebody speak uh, is not necessarily life transforming. But Lord, we believe in the power of your word that it is God-breathed. We believe that you have uh, placed your Holy Spirit upon uh, those that do believe, and you speak in and through your word, empowered by him. So we pray to that end today. We ask God, as we uh, even consider the subject of prayer, that it would uh, waken us up to the amazing privilege and opportunity it is to come into communion with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there was a TV show in the 1960s entitled uh, The Beverly Hillbillies. Who knows what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. So a lot of people. Let me catch up everybody who's unfamiliar with the, uh, the story, the premise of The Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, four main characters, Jethro, Jed, Ellie Mae, and Granny. They lived in the Ozarks. They lived in a very small shack, basically. And they, they were poor. They end up moving from there to Beverly Hills. Why? Because they found oil on their property. An oil company struck oil. They instantly become rich. So now this backwood, literally hillbilly family goes into sophisticated high society Beverly Hills. And it's, it's very awkward, that transition. But one of the, the aspects of the story that is kind of shocking is Jed he knew there was oil on the property all along. He was shooting, he was hunting something, he shot, oil came up. He didn't think much of it. And when they even came, the oil company, and told him that he had oil, he was like, yeah, I know I have oil. He's like, but I don't have any money to pay for you all to come and take it from me. And he didn't realize, like, you know, we pay you, you don't pay us. He had no idea of the wealth and the riches that were right there before him at his disposal. Not until the company told him that they would pay him a whole lot of money in order to drill for oil on their land. Why am I talking about the Beverly Hillbillies today? Because I think a lot of us 
as followers of Jesus Christ, are very much like the Beverly Hillbillies. And this is what I mean. We have a valuable resource, a much more valuable resource at our disposal than untapped oil. What is that resource? It's prayer. That we get to pray to the living God. There's riches beyond measure right there. And if we're really being honest with one another, we do very little with it. It's untapped. It's underutilized. So what we're going to really see is the need for us to strike for oil as we call out to our creator God today. Uh, If you're going to follow along, if you've got the outline and you're taking notes, we're going to begin by looking at the good in prayer. I mean, I'm assuming most of you know prayer is a good thing, but we're going to see like real tangible ways that prayer is good for us. We're going to see that it's practical, it's powerful, it actually works, that God does stuff in response to our prayer. And then secondly, we're going to look at the God of prayer, that he's the one that makes it pop- possible, and he is the one that has great purpose in prayer in our lives. So let's begin, let's pick up at verse 13, as we see the good in prayer. As I mentioned, This is our final sermon in James. If you remember, one of the things we called it, you remember the Old Testament book that I said James patterned and similar to? Anybody? Come on. It's been a while. Proverbs. It's the New Testament Proverbs. It's the book of wisdom in the New Testament. The overarching theme is what does it look like to live as a faithful Christian in a fallen world? Like, how can you navigate being an alien, being a stranger, being a sojourner, and yet maintain fidelity as a follower of Jesus? But I think it's important as he wraps up the book, as he finishes that overall thought, what does he end up doing here? He reminds them of their need for God. He reminds them of their dependence upon him. That everything that was said before, if it's done in our own strength, if we try really hard and we pull our bootstraps up to be faithful Christians, guess what's going to happen over time? We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. Because we can't do it in our own strength. So it makes sense that James would wrap up the book with an emphasis on prayer and an emphasis on dependence on God. Well, first of all, we see that prayer is practical. Read verse 13 with me. Look at his reality. Look at their reality. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Notice the different circumstances that he's stressing here. And what he's doing, it's kind of like Every end of both ends of the spectrum, like when is prayer a a, a good thing to do? Like, is it when you're suffering? Yeah. How about when you're cheerful? So that would be the opposite of suffering. How about when you're sick? How about when you're healthy? When do you pray? And he's stressing that prayer is practical. I was I was looking. I actually Googled uh, most useless uh, inventions ever, and one of the ones came up, and it's very fitting for today. They have, and I'm not joking umbrellas for your shoe. Does anybody have any? I don't see anybody's feet. No, like like legitimately, they're umbrellas that you put on your shoes so when you're outside in a rainy day like today, you keep your shoes dry. Pretty ridiculous, right? 
There was also a companion of that, barefoot shoes. So the shoe, you put it on your feet, but the bottom is barefoot. So you can kind of be like a secret barefoot walker. Like ridiculous, useless gifts, right? But then you think of some like really useful, one of the things with men, very stereotypical, but a Swiss army knife is extremely useful. It can cut, it can do this, it can do that. You got a screwdriver, you got, it, it has so many functions to it. It's more than just a pocket knife. And what we see James kind of alluding to here is that whatever the circumstances, prayer is fitting for it. Philippians 4.11, Paul is talking just about kind of the wide range of circumstances that you and I encounter as believers. I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And in that passage, what's the solution? It's Jesus. And what James is pointing out here is that regardless of your circumstances, prayer is practical for all of life's circumstances. So I have to ask you today, what is your current lot in life? Because I guarantee in a room filled with this many people, we have a wide assortment of circumstances. We got people who are on mountaintops right now, successes, victories, life is going well. I know there are people here right now that are in valleys. These are dark seasons in their life that it took everything in their being to even drag themselves to church today. They're really struggling in their faith with the Lord. And then there are people in the middle. And what James is saying is that whatever the circumstance, prayer is practical because it should be our response. It should be our go-to. Do you understand? That's what James is getting at. That you pray. You're sick? Guess what you do? You pray. You're cheerful? Life is great? Guess what you do? Sing praise. The praise is the equivalent of, of, of song in prayer to God. It's, it's the same idea that he's talking about. Are you suffering? Are you sick? Or whatever it is, you pray. So you're driving home from, from church today, and you hear sirens, and you look in your rear view, and there's a police officer behind you or an ambulance. What do you do? What should you do? Pull over. Pull over. What do you do when your phone rings? You don't necessarily answer it, but you at least pick it up. You look, you see who the call, and then you make a decision. But you have, it's a natural response. And what we see James teaching us, teaching the people that he's writing to, remember these are very persecuted Christians, dispersed through the area. And he tells them, this is your default. This is your go-to. That whatever life, whatever hand is dealt your way, your response to any and every situation is to be prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Philippians 4.6, But in everything, by prayer and petition, you see, what, what we have to become as followers of Christ when it comes to prayer is to be intentional, to be disciplined, to be active, to choose to pray. I would argue you need to plan to pray. You need to develop such a habit that it becomes instinctive in your life because if you don't go that direction, 
This world, the cares of this world, the distractions of this world will cause you to not pray. Amen? That's it. That's reality. You might have good intentions to pray. You might wake up and say, you know, I'm going to pray later for such and such. But life happens, and then all of a sudden you're laying down in bed, and you're like, oh my goodness. 17 years into pastoral ministry, I feel like I have grown in this area, but I feel like I am so far from where I want to be. Because even when you're paid to pray, so to speak, it's easy to not pray. It's hard to not prepare a sermon because I know I'm going to be standing up in front of you all, and you will know that. But I can hide how much I prayed in the last week, how much I prayed for the sermon, how much I prayed for you guys individually. Like, you don't know that. And I think part of that reason then leads us to be less prayerful. What's your response to life's circumstances? Is it your default? Do you need to grow in this area? Colossians 4.2 says, continually steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I think it's probably one of the most humbling conversations to have, right, if we talk about our prayer life. I mean, I've never come into contact with somebody that said, I pray too much. Like literally, like, oh my goodness, like I'm like the best prayer I know. I pray so much. Like I, I need to dial it down. I'm kind of addicted to it. And I, I just can't help it. No, nobody, everybody, like I very, very few people I ever come into contact with are confident about their prayer life. It's usually like kind of a guilt, shame, like, uh, I kind of pray. I pray at a meal. See, prayer is not only practical though, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Go to verse 14. He says, in the prayer of faith, actually before that, if somebody's sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, you will be, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Notice the focus of the prayer. And I, I want to stress this, specifically with the idea if somebody's sick, you bring the elders before them, you anoint them with oil, and, and pray. We need to understand this is not magic, and it's not superstition. As somebody who loves sports, played sports, people can be superstitious with the sport world. Even fans, you watched a game and you were wearing this outfit, and they won. The next week, you're wearing the same outfit, and then they win again. And now you know that's the reason they won. And then all of a sudden, every week, your wife's like, why are you wearing that every Sunday? Because they're winning. You're wearing that shirt is causing this profession. Yes, yes. If they only knew that I am the reason they're on a seven-game win streak because I— so we, we can become like that in life where we can kind of add very different steps in and like, okay, that's why this is happening. We need to understand the focus that James, so please don't mistake. And we've, we do this pastorally as, as elders. We have, we've gotten together with people with various needs. We've, we've put, anointed them with oil. We've prayed over them. But it's not like I, I found like a really good oil on Amazon that it's like the good stuff. It works. We tried this like generic version and those prayers did not work. That's not what we're talking about. It's the focus of what? The Lord. 
It's the one in whom we pray, not how we pray. That's where the power lies. It's focus. James 1.15, we've already seen this. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask who? God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So when we talk about prayer and prayer that is powerful, prayer that is powerful is focused on God, the one in whom we are praying. I think that's why it's so important to pray with Scripture, to use God's words as we pray to God. That's where the power lies. It's not in our words. It's it's not in uh, the fact that the elders did it and the elders have more power, power than the average Christian. That's not the focus. The focus is God is the one that we pray to. Well, do you cry out to God? Do you do that often to him? Is it only when things are going bad? Because not only is the prayer focused, it is, is fruitful. Listen to what he says right there. He goes on and says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he's, been committed, if he's committed sins, he's going to be forgiven goes on, it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And now we're going to camp out a little bit on this topic. Because I, I, I believe in a room where a lot of people have a very robust, high view of God and God's sovereignty, I think what happens is you and I We assume that God is going to do something, so what difference does it make if we pray? That we know he's going to do it. We've seen him do stuff before, so prayer becomes very perfunctory. It becomes kind of like, well, we do it, kind of go through the motions. No, but here's the deal. Prayer works. It actually works. I mean, how many times have you bought a product based on reviews? I've done it many times on Amazon. I've went on, I've looked at the reviews, and like you'll sometimes read reviews and, and you have a ton of one stars and they said it doesn't work, like a cleaning supply. Doesn't work, will not work. And you have one or two people that you think maybe were paid to give a five star, it was amazing, I lost 40 pounds and I ate pizza every day. You're like, wow, that's amazing, I want that pill. No, prayer, I, I can't, I can't highlight this enough for us. Prayer works. Now, as he's talking about sickness, I don't want to digress too much. He talks about sickness and forgiveness and prayer and stuff. We need to understand that sometimes your sin leads to sickness and suffering. That sometimes happens. That's reality. Paul talked about that with the Corinthians, with the Lord's Supper. Do you remember? He says, some of you are falling asleep In other words, you've died because of them practicing the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So some sickness, some suffering is the byproduct of your sin. But all sickness, all suffering is the byproduct of the fall. That one of the the glorious truths of heaven, there will be no sickness. There will be no suffering. There will be no wandering as we're going to see in a little bit. That that's the, the hope of it. But in the meantime, prayer works. 
It legitimately works. That's the spirit of prayer, the anticipate that God is going to answer. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. It's the idea that we keep his promises at the forefront, that we believe that God answers prayer. This past week, the Shriner's grandson, a lot of people were praying for him. They had a surgery. Surgery went well. He's home now. Guess what? That is an answer to prayer. That's evidence that God works in prayer. As I sit out into this filled room, I was, uh, before the service, I was hanging out in the aerobics room. For those of you who have been here a long time, that's where we started. And there was weeks that I would have 15 people there. And not that numbers make that big of a difference, but it felt like often, week in and week out, we were sometimes heading in the wrong direction. And I remember many sleepless nights. I remember many days that I prayed and prayed and prayed, one for steadfastness, and that God would bring more people for us to minister to. And I look out and your answers to those prayers. You see, prayer works. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now this is not a blank check from God. It has to line up with God's will. But we don't, I don't think we appreciate the fact that when I pray, God responds and answers prayers and we see it in real life and in real time. He really does that. I remember one person I used to pastor, he was really struggling with like not seeing sin in his life and really kind of having a heightened view of his own righteousness. And I prayed, God, you need to break him. I speak to him, blue in my face to him. And week in, he doesn't, he doesn't get it. And then all of a sudden, like a week later, I asked him how he was doing. He's like, I haven't slept for like three days. No matter what, like I just, I'm restless. I sleep, I can't fall asleep. And I was like, oh my goodness, I prayed that. I didn't share that. I, I kept that between me and God. But prayer works. Does God answer prayer or does it work? Can I explain all the intricacies of God's overall will and act and all that. I, I can't. I, I, I'm not going to pretend that I can figure out the, the infinite mind of God with my finite little mind, but I do know that the Bible is very clear. We pray, God hears the prayer, God responds to the prayer, God moves in history. And I think if we believe that, it should radically impact how we pray. It should radically inspire you to pray. I mean, think even right now, what is the biggest problem, the biggest situation, the biggest issue that you are currently dealing with? You don't need to say it out loud. Are you praying about it? And are you praying in faith? Are you praying with confidence? Are you praying with a belief that God can do something about it? Because that's what prayer is meant to be. It's practical, it's powerful, but let's, let's consider the God of prayer. The reason why it's effective, the reason it works, it's because the Lord allows it and the Lord ordains it. He's the one that makes it possible. Read verse 15. It says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins 
to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. A lot of discussion on sin. We've talked a lot about sin in the book of James. The sin of the tongue, sins of favoritism, sin of idleness, of faith without works, life. We've seen worldliness. We've seen sickness and suffering tied to sin. The example of Corinthians, as we just mentioned. But what we need to understand in all of this with the sin discussion, we need to have a heart-to-heart. The only reason prayer works is if God extends us what? Grace. Do you understand that? I mean, think of, the, think of closed communities, society where you can't get in. Even thinking like the White House, it's not that easy to, it should not be that easy to get into the White House. It's a very secure location. Well, what's even more secure is a holy, righteous, perfect God. On that basis, sinners would have no access to God. And that's what Jesus ultimately does through the cross, through the gospel, that he gives us uh, the ability now to pray because we're, we're, we're blood-bought, we're forgiven. Because here's the truth. Listen, now this is Isaiah, the prophet. Isaiah 6, 4. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man among unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isn't that our testimony? I'm looking out at a room filled with a bunch of unclean lips, and I'll even say I'm probably the chief of the unclean lips. Do you understand? But then notice what he goes on to declare. Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned. Friends, do you need grace today? Do you see how unworthy you are to approach God in prayer? Because not only does he extend grace, he enables prayer to work and to matter. So the next verse, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So we read that. Does that strike you at all? I mean, Elijah, pretty impressive guy in the Bible. I don't know about you. I have yet to call down fire from heaven. Just maybe it's going to happen next week or the week after. But like so far, I mean, so like when you start, start throwing out Elijah, is just like us. What does he mean? I think if you look at the story, 1 Kings 18, 41 to 19, 8, I, I think you start seeing a little bit of the like us. So he prays, it rains again, and then he ends up being told by Jezebel that you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. And he ends up running away, and he curses the day of his birth. He wants to die. So, I mean, he goes from the mountaintop of, yeah, I just called down rain from prayer to I'm going to die. And I, I think what we see in Elijah, you know why he's a nature like us? Because everybody who is not Jesus is a nature like us. Think of all the Bible characters. We're in the middle of studying David, right? I mean, he's a man after God's own heart, but we're going to get to see some of the worst of David in the coming months. We're going to see him commit adultery and have a man murdered. Once again, we got a guy who has a nature like us. 
Moses and all of his unbelief, nature like us. Jacob and all of his deceit, nature like us. Mary, the virgin, guess what? Nature like us needed Jesus. And that's the truth of all this. We need to have what Paul talks about in Philippians 3, 9. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So that's why, friends, prayer is possible. That's why prayer is something that you and I should eagerly and confidently go before God. Because when God looks at you, when he looks at me, when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son and it gives him an attentive ear to us. That's why prayer matters. We're not, we're not coming as these, these enemies of God, as these, these sinners. No, we're blood-bought. We're, we're forgiven. We're his children. And as his children, he longs to hear from us. Does this inspire you to pray? To have greater confidence? Even now, don't you want to pray more? I mean, do we just need to stop and like, we'll just pray the rest of the service? Like, as I'm preparing this week, it just constantly, I was like, man, I just don't, like, why don't I pray more? Why do I waste so much time on things that don't matter when I could be praying? Because not only is it possible, it's, it's, it's got a great purpose. Now, he doesn't directly relate prayer to what we're going to talk about next, but I think in the overall context, we can, we can argue that. Verse 15 he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and, he, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, you will be forgiven. He will be forgiven. So he's talking about somebody in need of forgiveness, right? And then he goes down to verse 19, and he talks about, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And I think what we, we, we see James communicating to you and I is to have a heart for the wayward. Remember, he's writing the end of the book. He's wrapping it up. And I think at the end of the day, he knows our biggest problem, our biggest obstacle to faithful living is what? Begins with an S, ends with an N. Sin. And he knows that some will wander. Some will drift away from the truth. You probably know people who have, who have went wayward. When we look in the Gospel of Luke, what's the one parable? The prodigal son, where he takes it inheritance and he goes and lives it up away from the cares of his family. And he knows that there are some, remember, they are a very persecuted, very pressured, very hardship church that James is writing to. People that are genuinely struggling with life. And he knows that tendency, the world is going to woo them. The world is going to entice them. Come over here. Come over here. Life will be better here. Compromise here. Enjoy this. Enjoy that. And he says, some are going to wander. And you need to have a heart for them. You need to care for them. Galatians 6.1, Brother, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will be not tempted. 
Just like the lost sheep who you go after. Luke 15, 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Well, do you have a heart for the wayward, the history? I mean, because think about it. You were wayward, right? I mean, nobody here was born a Christian. Now, you might not have as radical of a story as the next person. But when we see just the decadence of our society, when we see uh, the, the waywardness of our culture, it should grieve you. It should, in the words of the gospel, he was moved with compassion. And I think what happens a lot of times is you and I in our self-righteousness, we look at the wayward as annoying, as getting what they deserve, we despise, and, and James is saying, you know what you need to do? Pray for them. Pray for them. And pray in faith that God can do something about it. Because that's, that's the hope in all of it. Listen to what he says. It's implied. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. So there's a homecoming he's talking about here. Isn't that good news? That even if your child goes wayward, even if your best friend, even if your spouse goes wayward, there is a possibility in God's sovereign hand that he can change them and bring them back. And isn't that the story of Paul? Paul who was Saul, who is as religious as they come. And I think it haunted, I will argue this, I think it haunted him till the day he died that he was there when Stephen was stoned. He was there. He celebrated it. I think he constantly was reminded. I think he embraced the grace of God that he was forgiven. But when he said the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners, I don't think he was just saying that for lip service. I think he realized like, oh my goodness, I was that guy and I'm this guy now. Praise the Lord. I am who I am by the grace of God. And I think part of the reason that you and I, we don't pray for the wayward and we don't pray for the lost is because we don't think God can do anything about it. Or rather, he won't do anything about it. I'll confess. My dad, not a, not a believer, has talked to me for 10 years, whole another conversation. I'll be honest, I've stopped praying for him. I just, I, I don't think it's going to ever change. I don't think he's ever going to come. And like, as I'm preparing this, I'm like, where's the faith, Joe? I mean, is my God big enough? Is my God able to open up his eyes and to draw him to Christ? He is. Like, why am I not praying for it? I should be daily praying for my earthly father. I'm I'm here today because of God, but I'm here because my mom and dad had me. I mean, he's he's kind of a, a major player in my history. And I don't pray for him. And I think you all have those people in your life that you're just not praying for. You've given up. Because you don't think at the end of the day, you don't think prayer works. Because if you did, you would pray. I think we know a lot about wasting, do we not? I mean, wasteful society. I was reading, uh, now mind you, the internet, I mean, it never lies, right? So 
I found this on the internet, so it's got to be true. But it said, United States, most wasteful society in the culture per person. The amount of waste each of us individually produce in a given year. Um, China and India, I think, produce more, but they have more people. So if you start averaging it by the people, we're the winners. We don't only just waste, in that sense, we waste money, both as individuals. I mean, people are buying. I mean, the fact that there are umbrellas, shoes, or shoe umbrellas, we like to waste money. We waste food. We waste our time. The fact that your phone has to be able to tell you how much time you spend on your phone is indicative of the fact that we waste so much time on our phone. In social media, we waste time streaming services, and we have become so wasteful. And I, and, I, and I really do believe, as we're wrapping up James, I think one of the greatest ways that you and I waste is prayer. We just, we waste it. It's here, we don't pray. What an amazing privilege and opportunity to pray. We're called to be a praying people, but we're not. And, and here, I just want to have a heart to heart with you. This is not about a guilting and shaming you. I don't want you to leave here being like, I'm the worst prayer in the world. And then you get in an argument with your spouse. No, I'm the worst. And everybody, no, I don't want a bunch of Eeyores leaving today. But I do want to encourage. I do want to inspire you that prayer is here. And it works. And it matters, and God wants to hear your prayers, and God wants to answer your prayers, and God wants to do amazing things in your life. So why in the world are you and I not praying? Remember, Elijah prayed, no rain. Prayed again, rain. And the same power that Elijah has, the same power you have because of ultimately Jesus, because of God's grace, and God's mercy. It's practical, it's powerful, it's possible, and ultimately, it's purposeful. And I would argue the greatest purpose in all of our prayer is the advancement of the kingdom of God. That God would take this unbelieving and wayward world and bring revival and awakening. And prayer is often God's ordained means of making that happen. So I want to encourage you, become a praying people. Let us as a church become a praying community. Every week I send out a newsletter. Share your prayer requests. A church of this size, I had like four people to pray for last week. Is that really the case? A couple hundred people, there's only four things that we need to pray about. We are doing really well. Share your prayer requests. At some point I want us to do a prayer night. Just come, no agenda, just we're gonna come and pray. The same power, just like Elijah. Let's get praying. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you right now and we acknowledge that we are often not praying and at the heart of that is unbelief. Father, forgive us. For, forgive us for not believing that you do a mighty, amazing thing, thing through prayer. I pray for each and every one of us here that we would become much more prayerful in our focus, not just uh, when we eat, not just when we go to bed, not just when we're at church, but that, Lord, 
uh, we would have a prayerful spirit about us. And God, we plead with you and we ask in your grace and mercy that you would answer our prayers, that we would see you uh, move mountains, that we would see you bring down walls like a Jericho. And God, that you would get all of the glory because we know at the end of the day when we see you answer prayer, it's not about us. It's not about how we prayed. It's about you and your glory. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we respond with song.